Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Nebraska Soccer Talk. I am your host, Joe Cleary. On today's episode, I have a guest on who will be talking about all things strength and conditioning, but particularly related to soccer. So it's going to be a good episode for parents, players, coaches of all levels to take a listen to. Um, As a reminder, this is the last episode of Season 2, because next week we start Season 3, where I start mainly focusing on the college coverage of this fall. So enjoy this interview, and please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share. I can't get my words out. Coach Grant Darnell, um, who is now going to tell us about his new position before we get into talking about um, the benefits of strength and conditioning for collegiate athletes, specifically college soccer players. So Grant, welcome to the Nebraska Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, really excited to have you on here. Can you kind of describe to people the the career change that you've made recently from being a head strength and conditioning soccer coach to our head strength and conditioning coach for all sports to what you're doing now? Hello, I'm excited to be here. Always glad to talk to you, coach. Um, yeah, like you said, I spent the last five years as a head strength and conditioning coach at Wayne State College. Uh, where I was the first strength coach in school history and helped develop and establish the, the department. Um, recently in March, I accepted that position with uh, the United States Air Force uh, Special Operations Forces, working with uh, special operations um, operators and staff. Very cool. So different, but still challenging and uh, obviously really important to the, the safety of the people who protect our country. Um, but in let's get let's kind of just dive right into it um i'd kind of like to start with the story of what you did at wayne state with our soccer program because you and i came into wayne state at very similar times i was there one year earlier than you so i got to experience what it was like without a strength and conditioning coach which was terrible um but uh kind of talk about like the development you saw from the players in our program and kind of what you had to implement from you know day one to what got us over the hump into the at Northern Sun Conference playoffs in 2019. So it was kind of like uh, 2016 to 2019 time period. What did you do as a strength conditioning coach for our players from then till that point? Yeah, I, I, when we go back to that in my five years there and your time there, and you, you know, we talk about not having a strength coach and having one. Um, the great thing about your program is, I mean, we took a, a staff-wide approach that we were going to value strength and conditioning. And so when, when we talk about development of players, it starts with, really it starts with recruiting and it starts with the head coach and their, their vision of what their team is gonna look like and the product on the field is gonna look like. Uh, for me, coming in day one, people didn't really know what a strength and conditioning coach was or what they did or how it could benefit them. Uh, you know, for a sport in the fall like soccer, by the time you get the seniors, you're, you're only gonna be with them 10 weeks. So not saying they're a lost cause, but you're only you're only going to win some small battles with seniors, whereas, uh, you know, your freshmen and sophomores, you want to spend a lot of time with, especially from a form of technique side of things, um, as you want to really lay the groundwork of, uh, of the department. Um, you know, the one thing that's probably most overlooked, though, in order to lay that groundwork, it has nothing to do with what really takes place in the weight room. It has uh, everything to do with building some trust and some relationships and establishing trust with athletes and with staff. And so, um, you know, when I got to Wayne State, there was a, 
there was an emphasis on the weight room and everyone knew it was important. Um, but again, having a new coach and having someone new with the program, no one really knew what it would really look like. Um, after, uh, really after a season, uh, a season that, you know, my first year, we were very successful at keeping our players healthy mm-hmm. uh, and preventing injury. Um, I think that along with some success that first year that I was there mm-hmm. uh, really catapulted things well into the off season and really, uh, you know, let the girls know how important things were and uh, what strength and conditioning could do to help get us over that hump. Yeah. What advice, like you kind of talked about, like uh, being unsure and having to build trust and, and kind of getting that buy-in. What advice would you have for soccer coaches um, at any level? Because I think I've seen a lot of posts uh, from high school coaches being like, hey, make sure you're getting in the weight room in the summer. Um, what is some advice that you can give to coaches, sports coaches, and strength and conditioning coaches maybe at the high school level to, to help foster that buy-in or, or that belief in how important the, the weight room is for student athletes? Yeah, for me, it, it really starts with beating the athletes where they're at, where they're comfortable at. So if I, you know, every soccer game I attended, one, the team saw me there. Two, I could talk to them about their sport later on. Mm-hmm. And then I could use that as a, as a touch point of, you know, hey, that 50-50 ball you won, you won it because you were stronger than her. Yep. You were just able to incorporate things. And they know and they understand the game of soccer and they know and understand what they do. So the more I can be around them just to establish trust, almost like the, you know, the courting of any type of relationship, the more you're willing to do and sacrifice for them, kids pick that up. Um, and the more that you're willing to be around and show face, especially a sport like soccer that isn't a tier one sport at most schools, right. you know, they're not getting the, the high-end treatment that a lot of other sports get. If you just show that you care, it just, it just goes a long way. Right. And I think the other thing that you did a good job of like in the weight room and the it was obviously the teaching side of things, but the other thing was you gave the players a sense of achievement and a sense of victory, even when there wasn't technically anything on the line, kind of teaching that winning culture of like, get that PR, you know, get that personal best. Like, can you push more? Like, Hey, you don't, you're not, you're not farmer walking with a 35 pound or 45 pound. Like here's fifth, like challenging them. I thought that was something that you always did too, that, that like by recording them and keeping track and, and celebrating them when there was a big win in the weight room was also a, a big deal too, even for our soccer players. I know you see it a lot more on football, social media, but, but our, our players loved when we hit personal best and they loved max day. So. Yeah. And I mean, again, that started with you as a coach and the staff of, these are the things that we're going to value. These are the things that we're going to record. These are the things that we're going to hold our players accountable to. And then it comes back to what is the standard that we have in the, in the weight room or what is the standard that we have in doing things? If half the team can do this, let's make that the standard and let's get the, the lower half to rise to that standard. Right. So I, there's a couple of myths that I want to talk about and kind of debunk um, or, or maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're give some credence to, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So one of the biggest ones, and you had to deal with it right away, um, is that you hear from coaches and, but more players, especially, um, soccer players is lifting's going to make me too big. I'm going to get too big. Um, what do good strength and conditioning coaches do where that doesn't happen? Or, or what, what would you say to an athlete or a coach or a parent who's like, I don't want my player getting too big? Well, generally, uh, so I'm 30 years old now and I've been training for, 
uh, 14 years or so, and my goal has been to be big and bulky, and I've only moderately been successful at it. Uh, no one's just going to wake up looking like Brock Lesnar, uh, first and foremost. Um, I mean, I mean, that's just a big myth in general. Yes, you can train for hypertrophy, which is just growth overall. Um, you can train for strength. You can train for power. But we we specifically, and especially in cleave strength and conditioning, and each with each team, we train for what's specific and what's going to carry over to that sport. Um, luckily, the the way society is viewed particularly female body image over the last 10 years really changed. Yeah. Um, so for now the, for the, for the positive. Yes. For the positive. In fact, and you know, we used to have very skinny models and very, you know, underdeveloped individuals. And now muscle is, is viewed at, is viewed in terms of beauty, you know, an athletic body yeah. looks very different than what it did 15 years ago. So the society and some of that social media has, has helped uh, it's also hurt, obviously, with terms of social media. But for me, it's the, the, the one of the best easy marketing pieces I can do is just look at our top players. Our top players are always healthy. They're always strong. Yeah. They were never big and bulky. It's, it's very hard, especially as a female, it's very hard to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at our, our, our talented players uh, over the years at Wayne State, um, you know, Natalie Reck, Alexis Struthers, Christina Stacy, um, you know, uh, all big time people in the weight room. Like they just love, they liked the weight room. They got after it in the weight room, even like someone who's maybe not necessarily who you think was strong. Like Sophia Ketchmark was like pound for pound, like one of the strongest people on our team. Oh yeah. She only weighed like freaking 90 pounds. So yeah, she weighed like 103 pounds when she yeah. came in and got after it every day. Yeah. And then again, that goes back to coaches bringing in the right kids and the right culture and your leaders leading by example. Uh, so another cliche that you hear is that lifting lifting's gonna make me slower, um, or I'm I'm gonna go do I'm gonna go do footwork and and plyometrics to get to get my to get my that explosive speed up. What 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 would you say to that, or what? How would you combat that to someone who would say that? Yeah, I mean, speed is a measure of power output, and so. Yes, we have to apply the power correctly to the ground. Your mechanics have to be correct. All that has to be in line. But if you want to become faster, you have to become more powerful. Um, in order to do that, you have to create a stimulus of some sort. Thus, getting stronger is going to help you become more powerful, generally speaking, especially with the athletes we have. You know, if you look in the Olympics, you look at the, the marathoners and the half marathoners, they look the way they do compared to the 100 and 200 meter sprinters that also look the way they do. And so, um, you know, any athlete that wants to, uh, you know, become faster or produce more power, especially with the athletes at the, like, at the collegiate level, just getting them stronger is going to benefit them in almost every realm of life, to be honest. Right, right. And just general health, like heart, even like heart health, like, uh, you know, it can be beneficial. Um, what shifting more to being even more soccer, a little bit more soccer specific, um, moving from the youth ranks and the prep ranks into the college ranks is such a big step in any college sport, but especially in college soccer. Um, what is, what are some advice that you would give on the strength and conditioning side for athletes? Cause I know that you have worked with a wide array of soccer players, some who have come in and have been training their whole high school careers, some who have been coming in and haven't lifted the bar and, and neither is neither is right, wrong or otherwise, but what's some just advice that you would give to those 
student athletes and their parents uh, as they prepare to, to make the next step to the next level? Yeah, movement is key. Um, any, any lift you do is obviously some type of movement and some type of movement in the body. And to be a great mover helps tremendously. You know, if you come in and you're the strongest person in the weight room, that's not always the best thing in the world. Um, I see it more with like with, with early college football players so they can come in and they can move a weight heavily, but they can't move it correctly. Okay. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, this, when, when we train, we train movement patterns, especially ones that specifically are going to carry over to the game of soccer. Um, and knowing that uh, that's what I would look at, especially our, our younger athletes, the, you know, the younger you get, the less specific you need to be as well. And so if you're a, you know, 12 year old playing club soccer, you need to go be a kid as well. You need to, you need, you just need to move. You need to train. Um, but by the time you get a little bit older, it's, it's a holistic approach, uh, between myself, the coaching staff, if there's a nutritionist, it all matters. Uh, but the number one thing I'm looking for early on is just a good work ethic to be receptive to, uh, whatever change and, again, quality movement patterns. Right. Um, and you kind of mentioned it. So there's always that cliche of you can't outwork a bad diet. Um, is that true? And if so, or if not, um, what, what, uh, how important do you view nutrition uh, in the, in the aspect of a, a high school or college soccer player? Well, some of the parents can probably agree with this, that when you're 18, 19, 20, you can outwork a bad diet. <laughs> you, can't, you can't when you're 33, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Correct. It's not, you're not, it's not going to be optimal. You're not going to be the best player you could be. Um, can you still be physically fit and look a certain way? And some people that have very good genetics, yes. You know, we all know those people that yeah. do that. Um, at some point, that's going to catch up to you. And, you know, for me, nutrition is the base layer and foundation to everything I do in the weight room. If you uh, come in malnourished or under or you know, underfed or dehydrated, nothing I do in the weight room is really going to benefit you. And if, if you're in a caloric deficit, lifting weights and tearing muscle fibers and doing anything from an athletic side of things is going to put you in a bigger deficit. And so that's where you see the good become great or, you know, your average player become good. And generally you see that sometime around their junior year of college is they figure out, Hey, you know, eating like a freshman, yeah, I, I can be able to get away with it, but if I really want to take this serious and I really want to have great life habits and I want, and I value my sport and my health, this is what I need to do. Um, and I think you as a coach, that's when you start seeing um, a little more resiliency from your athletes. And that's when you really start seeing their game pick up as well. Yeah. It, it's like you said, it doesn't have to be that way, but it can, it can certainly, you can certainly pay the price for not being the best. Um, Following up on that, I know we always like quick fixes, but this isn't a quick fix, but tell me what your, um, like if, if a, what's your favorite go-to breakfast for student athletes or high school or college athletes? Uh, the first thing I'll tell a student athlete is anything is better than nothing. So, and that's a crazy thing to say, but if, if you look at it in the morning, you say, I, I'm either not going to eat or I'm going to have a Pop-Tart. Pop-Tart every time. Yep. I'm not telling you that's the best option. There's, there's realistic and there's optimal. Okay. Um, 
So like realistically, anything's better than nothing. Um, a, a balanced breakfast that's going to have some lean protein, it's going to have some carbohydrate and probably a little bit of fat as well. And so, um, you know, anytime I work with really anyone, we want to keep uh, added sugar intake low. Uh, we want to keep trans fats out of our diet. Um, you know, great breakfast choices in terms of proteins, eggs, egg whites. Um, you can get some lean breakfast meats in, but you need to watch the fat. And when you talk about sausage, bacon, and all the other things, um, carbohydrate oatmeal is going to be phenomenal. Um, again, based on the individual, you anything's better than nothing. You know, obviously, like oatmeal is going to be kind of your optimal choice. Plain oatmeal is not the most fun thing in the world. Uh, you know, when you're talking to 18 year old kids, like pancakes aren't the worst thing in the world. Um, just easy carbohydrates. We try to be low on the glycemic index. Get some fruit as well. Um, as as complicated as nutrition can be, it doesn't have to be. Right. Yeah, I think that's one thing you taught our our athletes, and you taught me as a coach. Even like, and I was gonna my next just kind of lead into my next question is is we have so many in, in youth soccer and high school soccer, you know, parents, players, they're always moving, always moving. It's like, all right, after the game, we're going to go do this. After the game, I got to go do homework. After the game, I got to go to work. After practice, I got to go to work. Um, but po- post-game and post-practice and post-activity recovery is so important. Obviously, we could talk for days about it, the physical side of things, but what are some what are some things that, that kids and parents can carry with them that will be good for, like, recovery? I mean – Cause you know, soccer gets the stereotypical, like orange juices after you play, you know, or orange juices at halftime type of thing or orange slices, you know, but like, what are some like things that parents and players should carry or stock up at home and carry in their duffel bag for after practice and, and after games and on the road and things like that? Yeah. You know, when, when we talk to our student athletes, we talk about, um, for me, it's, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you are, you don't have it planned out already, you're already behind. So if you don't know, hey, tonight I love I have that. I love that. In the fridge, or I know what I'm having. That's when you end up at McDonald's. That's when you end up making the wrong choice. Um, meal timing and nutrition timing, or easy snacks on the road, and all that kind of depends on what you've done and, and how it all fits into your daily intake. So nutrition timing is somewhat important, not as important as making sure you get it in throughout the day. So. You know, halftime snacks, we want something that is very is lower in fat, uh, very fast uh, in terms of absorption. So, you know, fruit snacks. Yeah, you, uh, got, a, you got us onto the fruit snack thing at halftime. Yeah. And again, working with kids, you have to find things that kids are going to eat. Yeah. Right? Like we can, we can find the healthiest options in the world, but if they don't like it, they're not going to eat it. Uh, fruit snacks, uh, things in class like nuts, uh, any, again, any carbohydrate type snack that is lower in sugar, your, you know, your granola bars, obviously you can get your protein bars, um, a packet of tuna, you know, one of those like you know, sealed packets. I don't think the girls can be walking around eating tuna anytime soon, but, uh, like when I travel, I'll take some bagels and some tuna. Uh, and it, it's easy. It's cheap. Uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are obviously like easy and cheap. It's yeah. and it tastes like I'll still eat those now one thing one thing you got us on that we like spent we spent like a good chunk of our budget for post game sometimes on this was we did we did we used to do glasses of chocolate milk and like we would force the players sometimes to drink chocolate it's not you don't have to force people to drink chocolate milk all the time but 
what what does chocolate milk do because you know it's it's kind of like a it's kind of been popular in recent years what does chocolate milk bring to the table in post game or post practice for athletes so post game so while you're competing in in sport you're burning carbohydrate which is stored in your body in the form of glucose or glycogen um what happens is as you're competing, you're burning through all those stores of all that store of carbohydrate or all that store of glycogen. Um, chocolate milk has, has sugar and protein in it. And so one serving of chocolate milk has about eight grams of protein. One ser- serving also has around 24 grams of sugar, 24 grams of carbohydrate. Um, that three to one ratio, there's a lot of studies that say that that is one of the best ratios in terms of recovery. Um, so if you were to give someone for instance, 16 ounces of chocolate milk, they have about 16 grams of protein, which is a good serving of protein um, for post-game, plus, you know, 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrate. Now it comes in the form of sugar, but at that point, we're trying to replenish and rebuild glycogen. So we've gone through all our stores of carbohydrate. We want a fast carbohydrate to come in and hit the system as fast as possible that we can help absorb and rebuild. Now for someone like me and you, if I'm training and I'm not training to a point where I'm burning all my glycogen, I don't need to restore glycogen. I don't need that extra sugar. Um, so for me, like I don't need that, that post. <laughs> yeah. I just need the protein behind it. So um, again, the scientific reason for all that for post-match or post-practice chocolate milk is you burn through all your carbohydrate. You need to replenish that as fast as possible, especially on a weekend with club where you might have a match every couple of days or you know, even multiple matches in a day, you've got to get those calories in. You've got to get the carbohydrate in. Yeah, exactly. And so then the last question I'm going to ask about nutrition before we kind of move on to something else is you always hear the thing like, and it's almost a joke amongst athletes are always like, Oh, carbo load. You know, there was the, you know, Michael Scott from the office eating fettuccine Alfredo right before he goes runs a 5k, which is obviously not what carbo loading is supposed to be, but what is, what is carbo loading meant to be and where is it appropriate and when is it not appropriate? Yeah. So generally whatever you consume in a day, your body uses the next day, generally speaking. Um, so you would want to consume a little bit more carbohydrate the day before an activity in which is going to, again, burn through all your stored carbohydrate. Um, if you're doing something that's a short duration, uh, you're not actually going to get through carbohydrate. You're going to burn through ATP. Again, in the game of soccer, you're going to be burned through ATP very quickly. I mean, that's you're you're doing that probably in warmups. To be completely honest, uh, by the time a match of soccer uh, goes through, you've burned through all your carbohydrate. So uh, pre-match or the day before, uh, again, you want to keep your fats a little bit lower at that point, though. Um, to really help the carbohydrate digest. Um, and then post-match, if you need to restore that glycogen, that's what the chocolate milk for. That's what, that's a way of carbohydrate loading, um, which would, again, help you recover and move forward, especially if you have a weekend series or a weekend-long event. Uh, what you don't want to do, though, and that's one of the biggest probably problems that student-athletes run into, is try something new on game day. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Game one, let me try this new thing out. Yeah. You know, gastrointestinal discomfort. Um, you need to know what works with your body, what doesn't work with your body. I'm just laughing because I won't say their names on 
on this, but like I've had, we, we have, I have players that we both know who have had that happen to them during games. And they're like, I need a sub. And it's like, what? And it's like, it's because something they ate something different or weird or yeah. Um, and we don't want that. Um, so it's shifting gears a little bit um, because this is going to come out very shortly in terms of proximity of, of when this happened. But I think you and I both have decent platforms and decent experience to talk about this. Um, how, how important is mental health in athletics and mental wellness? Um, wellness, I mean, the biggest, you know, Simone Biles, not a soccer player, obviously a gymna- gymnast stepping away um, out of the team results or team competition because of, you know, her mental health and mental wellness wasn't there. Um, You've probably seen it. I've seen it at the college level. Can you talk about how that is a factor for how, like how it is a factor for athletes, how how it affects athletes and, and maybe in your opinion or like what you've seen athletes do to, to, to face that and, and overcome it. Yeah. For, I mean, starting out uh, it was, a couple of days ago, I was actually talking to our site. We have a, a, a psychologist on staff as part of our performance team with special forces. So something to think about for general public is that's how important it is that we have one. Yeah. Here. The, the, our top, our top guys who defend our country and they're the best of the best. They have someone on, on staff to help and, and they talk to that person. Yeah. So, I mean, our performance team has a strength coach, an athletic trainer, a physical therapist, a uh, psychologist, a nutritionist, and a chaplain. So when you talk about a holistic approach, plus we have uh, a PA, we have a, a, a surgeon coming as well, and the resources there. Uh, you know, with so with mental health in general, one, I hope that people that are using mental health, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but if they're claiming mental health, that it's truly serious. Uh, I The one thing I don't want to do is have people claim that, something bad happened. Oh, by the way, it was mental health. And then now all you're doing is creating a problem for those who actually do have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I've worked as a strength coach. I've worked with people that have clearly suffered through things and uh, some, some want to talk about it. And some I've had good enough relationships that they will talk about it. Uh, it goes back to like, we work with people first and foremost uh, before they are athletes, before they are anything else um, as a strength coach and as a coach in general, you do want to, uh, mental resiliency is part of training. So we, we want to work that. We want people to understand how you can categorize different stresses and how you can, you know, digest it and move forward. Um, but at the same time, we also need to make readily available the resources that we have on campus or that you have around you at all. You know, I, as a professor at Wayne State, mental health was always a chapter that both of us taught. Uh, First thing I did was let all our students know that these resources are available. Um, You know, as a coach, and we both had these conversations with athletes of um, there are things more important than athletic performance, especially at different times of the year. You know, if it's January, how important is our match in August? Can we miss a day? Yeah. And me being a strength coach, I would love to have our athletes live five, six days a week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there are just things that are more important. And so um, n- letting student athletes know that uh, professionals are there. One, that I'm not a professional in that, but I'm here to listen. 
and I, I will help as much as I can. And two, um, trying to build that team culture and trying to build some mentor resiliency within training and teaching people to push past what might physically be hard. Again, completely separate in terms of physical pain and what's going on in the mind and what might be going on in life. Um, but you know this about me. I'm here to listen to student athletes first and foremost, and we can always change what we have planned for training at any right. point. Right. And, and at the end of the day, you know, like you said, there, there are things that are more important than sport and our physical wellness is one of those, but so is our mental wellness and our mental health. And um, it's so important that coaches are cognizant of it because if coaches aren't cognizant of it, it's hard for their players to be cognizant of it or their student athletes to be like, cause if, if, if it's not a thing to the coach, even if it is a thing to the player, it eventually won't be a thing because it, it's not talked about. It's not, it's not real. It doesn't exist there. Um, the, I guess the last thing to talk about is what um, is kind of is, is, is an interesting topic is, is social media. I guess that's a lot. That's the last kind of, before we wrap everything up is, you have a pretty big platform on social media. Um, strength and conditioning Twitter is similar to soccer Twitter, soccer coach Twitter. Uh, just a lot of a lot of people get mad at each other and like are like, well, actually, but what about and all this stuff? Um, let's start with what what are the positives that social media can bring for coaching and for um, athletes? I mean, there are a ton of positives. For me, you know, social media, you, you project your own image out on social media. Uh, for me, the positives, I, I'm connected with so many people just through Twitter that I can reach out and call head strength coach here, head strength coach there. Or I, can, I can go visit a facility at a lot of different places anytime just from Twitter, just from simple message. You know, if you look at even sport uh, 12 years ago when I was going through the recruiting process, there was no such thing as like, finding a coach on Twitter and sending a highlight film. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, we were still sending DVDs 12 years ago. <laughs> uh, and, and for like full game films. Right. It's like, there, there's so many positives in terms of positive communication and being around the right people and seeing some great information out there. Uh, so, I've, and we'll talk about the negatives, but as many negatives as there are, a lot of great people out there and a lot of great content what have you found let's let's start um in terms of the so like just resources in general it can be a huge positive what are the let's, we'll start with what are the negatives that social media can bring for student athletes young and old uh you know and i taught this and it goes back to like mental health is you know there's a an instagram world out there that everything has to be perfect and body image has to look a certain way and you're expected to look like a certain way and uh, it's just not realistic. Um, and I, I think for especially college age and high school and college age kids, like the images you see on social media, you have to understand like that's, that's not real. It's as real uh, as what it's, it's real as the television shows and movies and stuff. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's one negative, uh, strength and conditioning, like everything in our world always starts out with, it depends. <laughs> Should we be doing this? Well, it depends. You know, say, should we drink chocolate milk? Well, it depends on, you know, if you burn through glycogen, da, 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 da. Probably similar to soccer. Like, is this the best type of offense? Yeah, because of- if, you, if you paint too wide of a brush, 
Or if someone thinks you're painting too wide of a brush, they're going to be like, bup, 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 bup. and I think that can get tedious and not always move the conversation forward. We're in a society of where it's everyone feels like they're entitled to have a voice and like, damn it, you're going to listen to my voice. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's kind of like a positive thing that we all feel so emboldened and entitled and like powerful enough to have a voice. But it's also like just because you have a voice doesn't mean people have to listen to you um or or just because you have a voice like there's there's good and bad ways to use that voice too um so um yeah and and i think that that becomes apparent on anytime you get into like certain circles i think it's i think it's almost any circle Uh, you know i think it happens in academia like i i follow some professors on social media from all these bigger universities and they there's weird things that go on in their circles too so it's just kind of it's kind of one of those things that it, it can be such a positive, but it, it, it can be such a uh, negative too. So oh, um, the more following you get, the more people that want to question you, right? Yeah. Like the more, the smarter you are, the more people that are going to call you an idiot. Right. And, uh, and, and like the higher you get, the more people you're going to want to see that want to see you fall down. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, um, before I let you go, I think that you are a good resource on social media. Um, even though you're out of the college game, I still think you post some very relevant things for all athletes of all ages. Um, how can people find you on social media? Yeah. And that's, I'll continue to post stuff geared toward uh, that realm. Uh, Twitter is, is my most popular. It's at KGD five, four um, Instagram at Darnell strength, not a ton of content there. Uh, just <laughs> um, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, I'm pretty easy to find Grant Darnell. Yeah, I, I think I think the cool thing about Grant, and I'll say this, uh, not just from someone who's worked with him, but just seeing his interactions on social media, like if you connect with him and, and you reach out with a question, like he'll give you an answer and, and he'll give you his opinion. And I think it's, it's, it's cool that he's so accessible to individuals that he doesn't owe anything to as far as like, you know, an answer to like for an athlete or something. I've seen him... I've seen you do Q and A's on Instagram. I've seen you do Q and A's on Twitter where, where athletes ask you questions about, about things and your advice and, and, and you're pretty upfront, like, Hey, this is my opinion, but this is what I think. So if you do connect with, with Grant, don't be afraid to ask him a question, whether if you're a parent and it's for your player, if you're a player and it's about you and your future, if you're a coach and it's about your team, um, Grant can be a good resource for you. and, And obviously you can follow him and he'll post good content that you can use um in your everyday life so grant is good chatting with you obviously we've stayed connected via text messaging but we haven't talked on the phone too much so this is cool to zoom and uh and record something for nebraska soccer talk podcast so thanks for coming on thanks for having me i'm, I'm excited i'm glad to see you and hopefully uh i can help somebody feel for again everyone please reach And that was Coach Grant Darnell. If you have any further questions about strength and conditioning, don't hesitate to reach out to Coach Grant Darnell on Twitter or Instagram or connect with him on LinkedIn. He is a great resource and he's been a great friend for me. Again, uh, thank you for listening to season two of this summer, uh, summer's version of the podcast of Nebraska Soccer Talk. We didn't get in in as many interviews as we wanted to, partially because of 
my schedule partially because of interviewees schedules that I was trying to work with. Um, but promise we're going to be back to every week content as the college season rolls into play. Uh, starting this week, I was at the University of Nebraska Omaha game yesterday, which was Saturday. And then I plan on being at the University of Nebraska Huskers uh, this coming Friday as they take on North Dakota State. So again, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And thank you for your continued support and listenership.